Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Microphone that works. Which one works? Three, two. I'm going to go over here. We have a guest in the booth, and all all goes to pot. <laughs> Crazy show to get started here. Good to have you in the booth today. Brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com, and Burdick Ford. I'm Matt Park. Great to have you along. We're going to get right into a guest because he stumbled right into the office. The joy of having a, a downtown studio here, the worldwide headquarters of uh, Galaxy Communications. And uh, good to be joined by Sweet D, Dennis Duvall. We talked about the news yesterday, and it's been on the station here for a little while about the upcoming retirement ceremony or honoring we should say of the uh, uniform number 22 in your case Dennis and congratulations well deserved and uh, we're looking forward to honoring you in the dome when Notre Dame comes in in January. Matt I appreciate it uh, you know it's a real honor uh, I'm really grateful what uh, the university is doing and uh, my family is great. <laughs> yeah well it, it, you know the names in the program and, and you see them up there and and uh, you know it's kind of come about in a uh, it's not a concerted way, and there's pros and cons of that, mm-hmm. but it's not like, oh, we turn around on the last Saturday of every season and, and honor somebody. It's sort of been um, kind of piecemeal as this comes on. And, and for you to come in, Dennis, and represent sort of you know the generation when Coach Beheim was not your head coach, you know that, that, mm-hmm. that era needs to be represented. <laughs> and, and here you are as a, a two-time team scoring leader, an All-American mm-hmm. in uh, 1974, and uh, flying the flag for that group. Yeah, well, you know, although Jim was the head coach, he was my position coach, sure, yeah. uh, and I had a, a very strong relationship over my uh, three years of varsity playing, but um, he had an impact on uh, us guys back then, too. So um, although he wasn't a head coach, he certainly had an impact on, on me as a player, and obviously an impact on me uh, in a friendship-wise. I've known him since I was 18 years old. Sure. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him, uh, for what he's done for a program that I was a part of a long time ago and, and grateful for where it is today. You know, I was thinking uh, earlier today, driving around and on the way down to the show and thinking about the numbers that have been put up there and, and some of the ones that haven't. Mm-hmm. And in your case, I was thinking, you know what? A, a uniform number doesn't really jump to mind. And then when you hey, yeah, Dennis wore 22. And I'm thinking, well, 22 does jump to mind for right. Dave Bing. So in the recent era, we've talked about, oh, we honor these numbers and we put them up. No, uh-huh. 22 is going to still be worn and be in circulation sure. for, for players to wear. But there was a time in sports where the only way that that was done is retired. This guy, you know, Babe right. Ruth, Lou Gehrig, right? That's the, mm-hmm. that's the quintessential way that uh, uniform numbers sort of went away. And I wonder if you didn't get the sort of recognition or the, the time it takes to recognize Dennis Duvall as partly obscured by, obscured by the uniform number itself. And the irony of it is, I guess, you chose 22 in part because of Dave Bing. Yeah, I did. And now, you know, I I referenced that in other places of, of why I chose that number, and that was one of the stipulations for me coming to Syracuse when, uh, at the time, Coach Danforth was recruiting me. It was my high school number also. So, um, but um, as far as that number, 22, I, uh, you know, to be compared at that time when I was in college to, to the, probably the greatest player in the history of SU basketball, Dave Bing, and being compared in any capacity, 
um, to me was a great honor. The fact that I wore 22 and maybe obscured from things that I did, maybe it wasn't, re, you know, the jersey wasn't retired earlier, you know, that that's insignificant to me. I yeah. mean, uh, history is what it is. Sure. You can't change that. Uh, I know what I did as a basketball player. You know, I'm very fortunate in life that one point in time, um, when I wore 22, I was considered one of the best players in the country. And, you know, I, and the fact that uh, I had a Syracuse uniform on made it even better. Very cool. And you're so closely linked to the community, and people know you're the uh, former police chief here, and, and you've been around. So mm-hmm. it's been, um, I think, probably a, two, a two-way thing. The fans have been able to see and know and love you, and you've been connected uh, to the program and, and have known the guys, and certainly uh, it's been the same coach now this yeah. whole time, which is so unique to Syracuse. How do you take in the program now? Are you a watch-every-game-and-obsess-over-it guy? Do you uh, kind of follow it from a distance? What, what's your uh, consumption? I'm, I guess I'm probably in the middle. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'm not obsessed with it. Uh, I I watch it. You know, I watched the game the other night. Sure. I, I keep tabs on who's coming, who's going. Um, I look at the teams and how, they, you know, how they're doing during the season. Obviously, you know, um, uh, I prepare myself because of what's going on because I'm constantly – uh, living in this community, people are constantly sure, asking sure. about what you think and what your impressions are of the current team and players. And, you know, I, I have, uh, I think because I'm a former player, you know, I have an affinity to be a little bit closer to the program. And people assume that I might know something that <laughs> others don't know. Right. Um, but, you know, this is this has been my home. And uh, the people in this community have um, embraced me. And I believe this is uh, important to me. Um, there's an uh, unknown fact in my high school coach when – we were talking about schools to go to. He said, pick a place when you're done playing that you want to make your home. And how ironic that was and, and fortunate for me. Dennis Duvall's our guest and has been here really uh, ever since. Kind of like uh, you mentioned Coach Beheim came here and never left more than 50 years. And, <laughs> and uh, when you watch the games now, who do you see – that looks like Dennis Duvall. And I'm wondering, you know, <laughs> what about O'Shea, right? I mean, a guy that can really jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a great uh, rebounder and scorer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just so funny to hear you use the word, I played for the varsity for three years, yeah. that we don't have that concept no. anymore. Freshmen play, and maybe mm-hmm. that's all they play. Right. You know, So I know it's probably hard to watch the game through the, the prism of your formative time. But uh, in terms of the, the body style and the style of play, who, who sticks out to you? Well, you know, I, there's really uh, – I haven't seen anybody that – really emulates the way I play. We, you know, we didn't have a three-point line. So um, if I took a shot that deep out, you know, I probably heard about it from uh, Coach Stanford. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is the game has changed, and the game has changed for the better. Um, a lot of the things that we did then, we still, you know, they're doing now, especially some of the defense on the, on the zone defense. We pressed a lot uh, full court because our teams were smaller. Uh, we didn't have seven footers. My teammates weren't seven foot. You know, our center was six foot six, right. and we had some guys six foot seven. So the game was a little bit different, maybe a little bit quicker at times. There was no, and then on the other hand, a little bit slower because there was no clock. There was no thirty second clock. Right. So uh, as far as a particular player, I, I don't see anyone that that I would say uh, plays like me. Um, I think that, uh, and that's probably good. That's probably good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you can have your own uh, unique way. And, you know, the players you played with at that time and the, mm-hmm. the, the group went on to the, the 75 Final Four, Rudy Hackett, right. Jimmy Lee, and uh, guys that I know that you can keep in contact with around here. I do. Uh, Jim Lee and I uh, obviously talk to each other. I saw Rudy uh, about a year and a half ago out, out west in uh, California and talked to him. Um, Stevie Shaw, Billy DeMauro, uh, Kevin King, guys that I see frequently. Steve, uh, You know, Stevie Shaw is – 
daughter was our babysitter wow. at one time. So we, I have strong connections here with my ex-teammates, uh, Mike Lee, Mark Waddock, I see uh, frequently. So uh, we were a close-knit team and, you know, and for a lot of good reasons. Maybe on the golf course with some of those guys. You're, you're a fixture around Absolutely. here, Dennis, on the, the uh, yeah. local golf course, as anybody yeah. would know. And I know you a little bit uh, through golf and just seeing mm-hmm. around it uh, some of these things. It's not uncommon to drive by a, a couple local courses and see Dennis out late at night putting and practicing yeah. by yourself. That's the old habit. <laughs> and that's why you're a good player, and mm-hmm. the most people um, aren't willing to put in that time and sacrifice. That's not just a hobby, okay? Mm-hmm. How... How was that like what you were like as a Syracuse basketball well, player? Well, you know, a lot had to do with uh, I, I felt that the more I prepared, the better I was going to be. And that has a lot to do, you know, I can attribute that to Jim because a lot of times, uh, you know, he was my position coach. And he says, you know, you leave early. There's a reason why you leave early, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, he pushed me in ways in, in ways to, to be better. Uh, he At one time we had a, uh, a candid discussion. He said, if you want to be an All-American, you got to do certain things. There's certain things you got to do more than others. You know, and he told me about how Dave did it, you know, what Dave had to go through. And, you know, and I listened and I didn't mind putting in the work, uh, but my teammates did, too. But, you know, yeah, I put in the work and, and I still do it, you know, with my golf. But to me, it, it's not work. It wasn't work then and, and it isn't now. How have you seen Coach Beheim change or not in that time that you've known him? Because it sounds like you were a guy that really enjoyed being pushed. Mm-hmm. He still pushes. Yeah. He still demands the, the, the best yeah. and the most out of uh, individuals, and some respond to that and some don't. Yeah. Well, he's, he's brutally honest, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I believe if you, if you want to be Im- improved, you've got to be honest with yourself. Sometimes it takes others to, to bring that out of you. Sometimes you know, it takes something else could motivate you. But I think one thing, the, the biggest thing that James, uh, he's, Jim has changed in is age. He's a lot older now. Than when I first met sure. him, uh, a lot younger, and and the and, gap between your ages gap, has really increased. Yeah, yeah. increased. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he pushes you. But you know, he he pushes you honestly. Uh, he makes you aware of who you are, where you stand in the midst of what's going on, and if you want to get better, and if you want to be a better player, you know, uh, listen, the man helped me, and he's helped a lot of others. And people can say what they want, but you know, the the answer is 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 in the wins. Dennis Duvall's with us. His uh, uniform. Number will be honored at the Carrier Dome, number 22, put up with, with uh, all the other greats. And that's uh, January 6th when the Orange uh, take on Notre Dame here in the Dome. Uh, also being honored in the, the same way this year as Lawrence Moten, all-time mm-hmm. leading scorer in the history of the Big East. So 22 and 21. And uh, Moten's is going up uh, March 3rd when uh, Clemson is in town. So there's a guy to be paired with, uh, yep. back-to-back numbers. And uh, he's got really one of the coolest claims to fame that people don't know is another guy that th- probably doesn't get the credit he deserves, mm-hmm. uh, just as you haven't. To be the all-time leading scorer in the history of the Big East Conference in basketball is a pretty cool thing to say. It is. And, and Lawrence uh, deserves every, everything that's coming yeah. his way. He, you know, I watched him play when he was in college. You know, we communicate. You know, we see each other at other events. You know, it's a family. And, you know, every guy, whether you were the best player on the team or the last guy on the bench, you know, we all recognize each other the same way. We came in the same door together. You know what I mean? Just a different time, a different era. Well, you're a great representation of it, uh, Dennis. I know everybody really in that basketball family looks up mm-hmm. to you, and, and uh, you have a, a way in the life that you've led and, and uh, the accessibility that you offer. Really, you'd be a great resource, I think, for the guys mm-hmm. now, and I know you have been. Yeah, I have been. And, you know, I any way that I can contribute – uh, to the program, 
It, I am proud of the program. Everywhere I go, all over the country, you know, people see I use a Syracuse hat or something on designating, you know, uh, my alma mater. But, you know, people ask me about the program, and, you know, I'm proud to tell them about it. I said, look, it's the best place in America to play basketball. Uh, it's got the best crowds. Uh, it's got the largest crowds. I said, and what more is there to say about it? You sound like uh, you're paraphrasing Coach Beheim. Uh, nine months of the year, the weather's beautiful, and the other three months is basketball season. It's okay. <laughs> we'll take it every, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you play it indoors. Uh, all right, so uh, people know you're the uh, police chief here for a long time, very successful, and uh, involved in some private businesses and things right now. What what keeps you busy when you're uh, unable to be on the putting green? Uh, right now, I'm uh, owner and president of a management company that does some management for different things and, um, and having fun. That's great. Well, it's great to see you, and I know we'll see you in the Dome plenty of times uh, here before the winter is out, and certainly looking forward to January when the Irish come in. Did you ever play Notre Dame? No, they wouldn't come yeah. They yeah. come here. <laughs> well, they did a little after that, you know. Uh, Long way after. Well, in the you know that you're talking about mid seventies, but yeah. uh, certainly, and then they were really good in the mm-hmm. late seventies. Uh, but uh, in the eighties and nineties, they were here a bunch, and now they're forced to be here every now yeah. and again. Well, I think there was a reason. We, we I lost one home game in in three years of varsity uh, playing. Nobody wanted to come to Manly. No, no doubt. Yep. And lots of the Coach Bay, I'm starting his career with all those 50-plus yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, wins in a row before Manly was closed. And that means Georgetown's coming up here, Dennis. That's uh, a week from Saturday, too. Well, you know, like I always say, I bleed orange. <laughs> Georgetown is the enemy and always will be the enemy until the day I die. Very good. We'll let that be the okay, final man. word. We appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, continue success to you. Yep. Sweet D, Dennis Duvall having his uh, uniform number 22 put up in the Carrier Dome January 6th. Well, that gets us going in the booth. Back with more as we continue. We'll look back at last night's big win by Washington at Kansas. A huge one for Mike Hopkins. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Every Thursday, Coach Bayheim talks orange basketball with Brent Axe. Brought to you by Skinny Atlas Jewelers. On the Pulse of the Orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Orange Nation, noon to 2, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth, this is ESPN Radio Syracuse. Only the two shows this week, yesterday and today. Yesterday we talked with Seth Greenberg about uh, what he had seen the night before in New York. Seth from uh, ESPN is a basketball analyst, uh, likes what he sees from Syracuse. I thought it's a little hard, and I know Brent talked about this a little bit on his show yesterday, to make a whole ton of the UConn win where we saw a couple of things that haven't really been representative of who this team has been over the long haul this season. Frank Howard had his worst game of the year by a mile. Matthew Moyer had his best game of the year by a mile. But that's sports. And we saw sports happen last night, too, where Kansas, who had obliterated everybody in a 6-0 and start to the season, and then didn't blow away the Orange, but uh, clearly kept them at arm's length and did their thing. Devontae Graham going for 35 points. Uh, beat them in Miami on Saturday. And then how did Devontae Graham do last night? Well, he was one for eight shooting as a similar zone defense that Syracuse plays was put on by Washington, coached by Mike Hopkins, of course. And Washington got up on them early and kept them at arm's length the entire way and pulling off an historic victory for Coach Hopkins and the Huskies. A bounce over to Hamir right with 10 seconds left. No fouls coming. 
and the Washington Huskies are going to do something for the first time in school history. They dribble out the clock on the road, and Washington goes to number two Kansas and shocks the world. Rock, chalk, shocker. Washington, 74. Kansas, 65. And for the first time in Washington basketball history, the Huskies win a game on the road against one of the top two teams in the country. On the road with a slight asterisk. That's uh, Tony Castricone, the play-by-play announcer of Washington basketball for his uh, first year there uh, with uh, Coach Hop this season. And it's not that was not at Allen Fieldhouse. It was in Kansas City. Same deal. It's a home game for uh, Kansas, even more than it would be, for instance, Syracuse at uh, Madison Square Garden. That's four, four and a half hours away. Kansas City's 50 miles down the road or less, and uh, Kansas plays a game or two there uh, every year. And a legit win for Washington. They shot 48%, held Kansas to 45, which is still pretty good, but far below what they've been doing. Kansas made five three-pointers, just 25%. Very clear game plan from Coach Hopkins. You'll hear from him about that game plan in just a moment. He was brought on SportsCenter after the game, and what you're about to hear is his initial comment to them, and it's exactly what we would have expected from Mike Hopkins in terms of getting his first signature win. First of all, Hop, everybody knows and loves here, in boundless energy, uh, tremendous people person, and a great uh, contact maker. And he's been pegging in the red now for an awfully long time, certainly from day one of the Washington job, but probably even before that, because that's the way he approached his job here. But certainly, the entire time he's been there, he has not stopped. So it was no surprise that after a big emotional win that uh, maybe his voice was not as strong as he would uh, otherwise like it to be, and he was able to pass the love on to his players. It's been incredible. The University of Washington is an incredible school, and, uh, you know, they have great vision, and, uh, you know, the kids have bought into the new coaching staff and all that stuff, and I'm just so proud of them. You know, they've, they've battled, they've worked, they're learning a new system, defensively, everything like that. The kid I got next to me, David Crisp, just managed a beautiful game tonight. He's been a leader. You know, this is a kid that has had to play a different position. You know, he's, and now he's comfortable running our team, getting our guys shots and leading us. And he just had a great game tonight. And I'm just so proud of the kids, the University of Washington and, and our team. Well, and Hop is very smart. He knows recruiting is what it's about. He's not going to pass up a shot on SportsCenter just a couple of minutes after the game and an opportunity to get his message out. And he did so with a lot of respect to Syracuse, saying, hey, if you want to be where Syracuse is. And so he uses that uh, as sort of a milestone for his program. And Washington has a lot of things to sell. It just does not have the history of repeated winning and success in the tournament and that type of thing that uh, this program has in Syracuse. And if you know the composition of the Washington roster, he's starting to bring people out there. Uh, One of the names you heard in the final call there, Hamir Wright, that's an Albany Academy guy. And there's a couple either at Washington now or on their way that'll be freshmen in the coming years that are people that were maybe on Syracuse's recruiting list, just not at the very top of the list. And uh, Mike Hopkins has built relationships with them. And uh, now off they go to uh, Seattle, which is obviously a great place to to live and to learn and uh, to play basketball under Coach Hopkins. So first big win for him and uh, right to the recruiting pitch, which obviously is uh, very smart. They've got Gonzaga next, which uh, is certainly a handful for Coach Hopkins. He was asked on the ESPN if he 
was in contact with the Syracuse staff because it was back-to-back games, Syracuse and uh, Washington against Kansas. And, of course, he was, and he kind of uh, hinted, yeah, I talked to my people back there. They're my friends, and we're still in touch. I think he didn't want to share exactly any information he may have picked up, what have you, because the Syracuse defense for large stretches of the game against Kansas was also uh, very impactful. And Kansas coach Bill Self said after the game that he felt uh, his team uh, was really kind of just skating by because of how well it shot the ball in its early part and uh, was sort of due to get tripped up in the way they were. And this is how Hop and his guys did it with their game plan. They executed the game plan. We were going to take away the three-pointers. They averaged 11 a game. They got five. Uh, They were really uh, aware of the shooters at all times. Uh, We didn't want uh, Graham to get hot. You saw what he did at Syracuse last couple games, and they executed. And then we showed poise. That was the biggest thing with this team is, is show poise at the end. We got our stops. We scored when we had to score. And everybody provided a big boost offensively. We made big shot after big shot when they made the run. And that was and Coach Beheim talking with him this morning about uh, that game. The biggest difference from Washington's performance against Kansas and Syracuse's performance against Kansas, there really were two, but the, the one of the really important ones is probably the one that's overlooked. The easy one to point out is that Devontae Graham went off against Syracuse, had 35 points, uh, had a couple of shots that were maybe more open than they should have been, but he also hit some late shots on the shot clock. He backed out beyond the line etc., and was able to put up his second consecutive 35-point game. Last night he was 1-for-8 shooting and was held to a season low in scoring. So that's one thing, and that, that one's pretty clear to spot. But the other was that Washington did enough offensively. Syracuse can go into scoring droughts, and you just need those droughts to not be that long. You don't have to light them up necessarily. It just means when you get some of these deflections and loose balls and uh, defensive rebounds that might lead to runouts or whatever. Well, you got to convert on some of those. And uh, Washington certainly was able to do that last night in a monumental win for Mike Hopkins. So his team is 7 and 2, a team that uh, with Markel Fultz won just nine games last year. So uh, that's among the reasons that that job was, was uh, appropriate for Hop and appealing. You go there and you can make an immediate impact, even if it didn't happen this year in terms of uh, immediate in the, the most obvious sense of the word and that it's right away. You can make a very clear impact on a place that hasn't been in the tournament in a handful of years, a place that won only nine games despite having a good roster a year ago. I'm sure he felt very confident that uh, there you can make things happen where anything that he would do here has already been done by uh, Jim Beheim, his mentor and, and predecessor, or would have been predecessor, uh, right up until include the uh, the winning of the national championship. So uh, that's the difference in kind of how that's laid out and how it's worked for Mike Hopkins at uh, Washington, but certainly a big, big win at UW. All right, more to come as we continue. We'll check to see what we do care and don't care about with Joe Salzone coming up for you here in just a bit, taking the show to the top of the hour today. Orange and Colgate in the Dome Saturday. Part of a doubleheader as the Syracuse women take on Drexel at 6 after the men's game at 2. The Orange women rolling over Colgate last night in a game that was not competitive in the least. More to come as we continue in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park.
back in the booth. Good to have you along with us. We invite you to subscribe to ESPN Syracuse in iTunes and Google Play. Both of those, you can receive daily podcasts of Orange Nation in the booth, the Daniel Baldwin Show, and on the block. And who wouldn't want that? The gift that keeps on giving. Good way to enjoy the podcast right to your phone. Daniel Baldwin has a celebrity uh, mystery guest today, and that'll also be shot right to your phone right after the interview. That's just tremendous. He's already had Alex, so where else can he go? He came right out the gate with the number one. So. He had Andre Reed on. He's oh, is that right? Andre Reed, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, he gets he's he's got contacts. Okay, I like it. I want he, he tells that Fraser story. I want to hear. Uh, can he have Kelsey Grammer on the show? That'd be a good get. <laughs> well, stay tuned. Maybe that's today. Frazier underrated underrated sitcom. Very right? underrated. Loved it. Very funny. Well written. Good. Good uh, characters. The housekeeper a was... A minimal number of characters. The housekeeper was yeah. uh, underrated hot, too, right? Yes, yeah. There was a lot of good-looking women on the show. Lilith? Not Lilith. <laughs> Daphne. Daphne, yeah. Lilith was Lilith the wife, wife of Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cheers, I mean, obviously, isn't underrated. Everybody knows that's a great show. But, uh, yeah, that was a little spinoff action. One of the probably rare, truly successful spinoffs. I think there's... Facts of Life? Yeah, there have been a few. Been a few. But you got to go back. The Jeffersons. Yep. Um, this is where my inner nerd will just <laughs> yeah, shoot well, you're, out. You're, in you're a, pretty much locked in the seventies. All right, let's get to uh, Stephen North Syracuse. Who probably, if we ask, we should give you special projects uh, sometimes, Steve, with your research ability and uh, your the way you fervidly approach those types of things. We could have you dig deep on on some of these items, but we'll save that for another time. Uh, how are you, Steve? I'm fine, and, and don't forget Rhoda Phyllis and Lou Grant from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Those were good spinoffs, too. Yes. That's back uh, when there was uh, fewer shows to make. There was a lot less airtime to fill and fewer networks and everything, but they still recycled a lot of the same ideas. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I wanted to talk about uh, last night's game and the Syracuse game. You, you mentioned the big difference, obviously, was that Graham went off against us and he didn't go off against Washington. But... It, uh, 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 I and some friends have talked about how in last night's game, it seemed like Washington was uh, not defending the guy in the top of the key and was thus able to extend the zone out farther and keep in Graham's face, whereas Syracuse has a tendency when the ball goes into the top of the key to collapse in toward him and maybe leave some, some guys open. And I thought that was a difference between the two games. Now, as you watch, I'm sure you obviously were at the Kansas game, and you watched last night's game. Did you feel that Washington was playing the zone in the same way Syracuse did, or did you see some differences? You know, I, I did not pay that close. You know, I wasn't charting it, uh, Steve, or watching. Uh, you know, I kind of had it on in the background while I was doing something else. But let, let's just go on um, your observation, and I think. Instead of top of the key, you mean free throw line area, right? So when the ball yeah, comes, okay. Yeah. So what they were doing, and I, you know, looked up often enough to see that that LeGerald Vick, he went off in the game because he was the guy they sort of okay, we'll back off here and we'll cover everybody else. And you're 100 percent right. Syracuse does tend to sort of collapse down on that guy and maybe get off of shooters, and that might have been a flaw in the Kansas game. But there's also plenty of trade offs. I, I can think of plays that were made in the Maryland game, uh, one interception in, in particular where Frank Howard, from the guard position with the ball already past him, turned back in. So now he's facing the free throw line with his back to the basket that Syracuse is shooting at and intercepts a pass that comes back out and, and turns it around. So I think 
there are uh, trade-offs to that. And probably a misconception, I think you know this, Steve, because you, you watch so closely and seen it, a misconception of the zone is that it, you just sort of – the people that poo-poo the zone, they think it's like what we used to do in, in high school gym class, that you just stand there, two people up here and three in the back. It's not really like that. The responsibilities are much more significant than people give credit for the amount of ground that needs to be covered by each of the positions and how much it can change from one game to the next. I think if Syracuse is guilty of something from the Kansas game, is not adjusting their super focus over the course of the game to Graham. Uh-huh. Going into the game, the guy who got all of the attention was Svi Mikhailuk. And he didn't really get a ton of open shots or tear them apart. That number one guy in the scouting report rarely does. I think Kevin Herter would be an exception. And Herter took a bunch of trailing in transition 25-footers. And those are hard to, to stick with. Yeah. I think that what Syracuse is guilty of in the Kansas game is over time they should have realized, hey, Grant's willing to go out to NBA range and late in the shot clock he's going to be the only one. Graham, I'm sorry, is going to be the only guy that they're looking for here. He needs that extra push out. So um, I think you're right in your observation. I think if you watch Syracuse or Washington the next game and the game after that, you'll maybe see some things that are played a little bit differently based on what are the perceived weaknesses of the opponent. Well, it may be that uh, Bayheim suggested to Hopkins what we did didn't work, so you might want to try this new wrinkle because the, the zone can be played in all kinds of different ways. You're right about that. No, and you you could well be right too in terms of hey, this didn't quite work for us, so maybe maybe you tweak it. And certainly Hop had the the benefit. It, I think that goes either way. And we thank you for the call, Steve. Um, it could be the benefit of having seen your defense essentially played against Kansas, or the negative of well, what are we going to do now that they haven't already seen. And uh, I, I think, it, it, as it turned out, it did work well for them. Kansas is, and this is by Bill Self's own admission, not a tremendous uh, execution team. They don't go out and run plays to score, and a lot of teams are like that. But they are a very good shooting team. And when things are going well, and they're front runners, when they make the shots, they look like, how could they ever lose? And last night, that didn't happen for them. Their shot did not fall at uh, that rate. And it uh, was obviously a different result. 22-point underdogs, Washington won that game. You don't think that Beheim was telling him to push out on that guy, though? I think well, it was probably an execution thing more than it was uh, nobody caught what was happening. During uh, the- yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. You know, but... I. That's true a lot of times, but I do think the players on the floor are the ones that have to realize. Yeah. And it's not easy. Let's not pretend it's easy. When a guy can make shots from the NBA three point line or beyond, as Graham was, and he clearly, his, as the game went on, his confidence grew and he was building, uh, you know, he was getting himself on a roll and, and uh, had built up the opportunity to take a, a now a 25, 26 footer. And a couple times it was late in the shot clock. So what else are you going to do? But, uh, that put him in position, I think, to to grow, and he, you know, he did on that day. Kansas is really good. Kansas plays Washington the next five times. Kansas is going to win all five, you know. But that's uh, that's sports, and that's why, you know, human performance is different from uh, one day to the next. And it was to uh, Washington's benefit last night. Yeah, and we're very lucky to sit where we do at games, and we hear right. the coaches tell him get out on that guy. And it's not like 
I mean, we know. I'm scared. I almost want to go out and guard him <laughs> when Beheim's yeah. telling him to do it. So it's yeah, it's, and you know, there are different sort of uh, you know these are my words, not not the coaches, but there are different sort of alerts put on the shooting of the other team. Some teams are okay shooters. Some teams have one really good, and the rest are not. Some teams have you know one or two guys that can really stroke it, and over time, the guys that you can think of that are really standout shooters, and this year there's been two, Kevin Herter for Maryland and then uh, Svi Mikhailuk for uh, Kansas. Those are the two that when, when Coach Baham really means it, he says, look, if this guy gets a shot over you, you are coming out of the game. That's the, that's the strongest phrasing that he can say uh, putting on a shooter. And, and sometimes as the game plays out, a different guy has a hotter hand that day, especially after you've uh, shut down the stud. So that's the way it goes. More to come. We'll continue in the booth in a moment on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Hi, it's Jim Beheim, and you're listening to the Pulse of the Orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Here's Joe Salzone. Football Hall of Famer Warren Moon is being accused of sexual harassment. The lawsuit was filed by Wendy Haskell, who worked as uh, Moon's assistant at his sports marketing company. Haskell says Moon made unwanted and unsolicited sexual advances toward her. Moon denies the allegations, but is taking a leave of absence from his Seattle Seahawks radio broadcasts. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, unfortunately, this is a plague that is uh, in our society now. It's coming to light, which is good because it's going to end that uh, type of behavior. But uh, just as common as it's been in politics and news television, which we've uh, seen running rampant, uh, it's in the sports world, and uh, you're going to hear more names. Raphael Palmero has not been on a baseball field in over 10 years. Did I pronounce it right? Yes. Oh, yeah. thank God. I was, I was so we nervous a about bell that. in here. <laughs> a bell and a buzzer. Uh, but the 53-year-old wants to make a comeback. Palmero was suspended in 2005 after testing positive for steroids and retired quietly later in that same year. In wanting to return, Palmero says he wants to prove to himself that he can still play on a high level. He really was a great hitter and... Got caught up in steroids and is most famous for wagging his finger in Congress and you know saying that he never took steroids when obviously he did. And more power to him. I'd love to see him give it a go. But the farce of this is in his prime he couldn't or at the end of his actual playing career he obviously couldn't compete at the level he wanted to so he was on the juice. What's he going to be now as a 53-year-old that's been off the juice for whatever it is, 15 years so no chance. Most guys, you don't want to see soil or their your you know, legacy. He's got nothing to lose. Yeah. He goes out and makes an ass of himself. It's still better than lying to Congress. Is the last thing people remember you for. So yeah, and I mean he. If there was a fifty-three-year-old uh, baseball league, I think he'd be as good a hitter as anybody. Right? If if you lined up guys his age. Right now, again, Rafael Palmeiro, Edgar Martinez, Will Clark—they're going to be the best hitters, yeah. and uh, because he really could swing the bat. But uh, he's a 53-year-old cannot hit in the major leagues uh, now with as hard as these guys throw. No chance. And a mother in Oregon was angry that someone stole a package for her son, so she got revenge. 
The woman left a package outside to be stolen. It was, and it was full of used diapers. Oh, it was stolen. I didn't notice that at first. So it was taken, and the package was full of diapers. Was it taken by the same person? Don't know if it was taken by the same person, but there was a note saying, enjoy. And you know that because? I read the full article. Oh, that you got the note. No. <laughs> I did not steal the package of used diapers. Try to keep up. It's a new way of being pampered. Oh, Very good. Reverse pampering. <laughs> care is brought to you by Camp's Pizza. Can we do it? Can we do a quick? Here's something I do care about. I'm going to start a, camps. Sa- a spa. Reverse pampering. I like it, Matt. I don't think that'll be very good for business. Oh my god, that was terrible. All right, so. We have more Sorry, people Dan. who laugh at unfunny stuff in yeah. this building. I know. I found reverse pampering pretty funny. I rarely find you funny, but that was very funny. I, I didn't laugh as hard as Joe over there. but All right, Joe. Uh, Keep it rolling. Thank you. Thank you. Go crack yourself up. Go pack another box. <laughs> whatever suits you. The package stealer. Uh, Syracuse Athletics confirming here that uh, that Notre Dame game for next year was uh, supposed to be in South Bend on November 17th is now at Yankee Stadium, part of what uh, Notre Dame calls the Shamrock Series which is uh, games they play at venues uh, out and around the country, including Fenway Park and San Antonio and California and places like that, and of course, Ireland. But uh, So that's kind of a mixed feelings there. I think it's pretty cool, easier for fans to get to. But uh, South Bend is a fun experience for football, and uh, for Syracuse to play at Yankee Stadium is a really historic thing for this program, so it's a win-win. They've obviously played Notre Dame there. They played Army there before, 7-1 and one all-time. At Yankee Stadium, so that's very cool. I'm torn. I kind of like going to South Bend for football. Yeah, I would like to do that. Uh, it's really been, what, just the once, right? So uh, would like to do that. Happy to do Yankee Stadium. The only negative of Yankee Stadium is one silly little personal thing that nobody cares about. Like we've gone twice. Haven't we gone to twice to Notre Dame? Uh, the Robinson game and one other. I remember the Robinson one. I'm, I'm struggling to remember another, but there probably the was. Other one, the one when you and uh, Kevin Marr were late. To the pregame show, and I can't even remember. What oh, yeah, because we had something else. Florida, we flew in Florida from Chicago. Yeah. Basketball played Florida at the Garden the night before. I remember flying into uh, Midway and, and going down. But it has, hasn't been since the uh, the Cam Dantley game. That should be referred to. Also the Greg Robinson game. But, uh, you know, so so both of those, you, you can't lose. When a Syracuse-Notre Dame uh, in football, you can't lose. And uh, Syracuse Yankee Stadium is also a very cool experience for the fans. So uh, looking forward to that November 17th. And that certainly helps recruiting better and and a lot of those things. So that will be awesome and hope that uh, people do take advantage of that. You think Notre Dame fans are rioting because they moved a game? Not a chance. (laughs) We don't have enough time to get into that. But I saw one of the uh, comments somewhere. Well, another Notre Dame game. Oh, wait, this is their game. Syracuse has never moved a Notre Dame game. And the last one they had at the Dome did not sell out. Just a point of fact. Talk to you on Monday. Happy holidays. In the booth, ESPN Radio Syracuse.